went and started working. And they planned on receiving a day's pay to buy that food and that everything they needed for that day at the end of the day after they got paid. Now the partial day workers, everybody else, they needed work just like the full day workers. They did not have some contractual agreement. They just heard whatever is right. Thanks Jesus for some open-ended type grace-filled you know, statement. Whatever is right. So they assume probably whatever is right is like a calculation. You know, six divided by eight and whatever. They had spent part of their day, part of their day, if not more of their day, not earning anything that would help them at the end of the day. Maybe they were even idle. Once they offered a job, they decided, it says uh, that they jumped right in. They went straight to the vineyard. So they were offered that job and they jumped right in and they helped finish what had been the task for the day with the vineyard worker. I think, I think that's kind of actually nice. I like to have more people. When you're needed to push it over the top, that last hour always feels like a grind. I should be really thankful that some more people showed up to help take it over the top and finish the job. Anybody ever been in that position as laboring or elsewise? You're like, man, I loved having a little help right at the end. These guys did it. When they get to the end of the day, they've done their calculations. The first crew, the partial day workers got total full day pay. And then the full day workers show up anticipating a increased rate for their work. They didn't need it. It wasn't more than their, their day. They had what they needed for the day. And they had that extra help in the harvest. So they showed up very grateful. No? Okay. They, they showed up very grateful, sarcasm. <laughs> Beep around that. They showed up very grateful to the vineyard owner. They showed up grumbling. They, sh they showed up envious. They showed up and were surprised that they didn't get what they wanted. And the vineyard owner, he says this thing, my friend, to them. And that phrase, the way that's used, is used a number of times in Matthew. But one of them is talking about my friend Judas. Jesus talking about my friend Jesus, the same phrase is used. It's only used a few times, but it's the same kind of thing. Like there's this thing of like, you're not seeing things the same way as me. You're actually not following within the kingdom of mercy that I'm bringing. And it says the eye is evil, the evil eye, basically your eye is envious because I am generous. Quit giving me the evil eye because of my generosity. Do you notice who didn't complain? It doesn't, I mean, maybe they did. I mean, like, I don't know what they complained about, you know, like, but they had everything they need, the partial day workers. They had more than they expected and more than they deserved. The full day workers had less than they expected but exactly what they needed for that day. So let's think about this vineyard owner who came to the workers each time, wherever they were at, he showed up for them. He knew their needs. He didn't care 
about their, stand, their standing or how much they had done within this workplace environment. He gave out with generosity and he corrected this messy mindset that the guys had. That's what the vineyard owner did. So who is the vineyard owner? I think for all, all of us, we're kind of like, okay, I get it, Jesus. You're saying that God, the father is the vineyard owner. Or, you know, like they wouldn't say Jesus is the vineyard owner because they're not quite sure he's who he says he is all the time. They're still working through that. But basically that the vineyard owner is this good father that they're trying to learn from. They're trying to discover through Jesus. But as we on this side of the fulfillment of Jesus and the cross and the resurrection where it says he was lifted up and given the highest place in the heavens that he is the king, we understand when it says kingdom in the Bible and Jesus is saying, talking about this is the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about something that he's partnered, lived in and established with Father God. That's why it's a kingdom. It's his domain. He's the one that established it. He was there at the beginning. Matthew starts it in the word. All these, and, and John, the word was life and life is among, he is the one that is with us from the beginning. So if we're really gonna just land a hold, who's the vineyard owner? The vineyard owner is Jesus. He is the king in this kingdom. He is Jesus reflecting and demonstrating the heart of the father. And he knows our needs and supplies them regardless of merit or work ethic or socioeconomic standing. Sometimes this can get a little bit squirrely for us because it can feel like, well, I'm, it's like, if we read this without context, we're like, Jesus is a communist. This, he's like so socialist. Or we could be like, he doesn't believe in this at all. And, and that is a little telling for us being on this side of prosperity. You know, uh, I'm, I'm there. We're all there. Even, even those that may be struggling right now financially, we're kind of way up the scale on the percentage of poverty or uh, what we have in this life compared to the world. Like it's pretty obvious. I don't know if Jesus is completely diving into an economic money type thing, but it can kind of sometimes feel that way. He is talking about the economics of heaven, how they are countercultural to our viewpoint. You remember that viewpoint I had at the very beginning when I told my story and I'm the most amazing constructor of of uh, and builder and all, I took on all the hats. I am amazing. I'm the center of the universe as a 10 year old building my fort. Everybody else should march to my drum. Everybody should understand how much I've sacrificed. Everybody should understand how much I've done and people should honor that, right? Again, the joke being that we, we grow out of that. I don't know. I don't know what we do. Jesus is saying this economy of heaven doesn't look like what you, what you think it does. I was reading a book and the, the author's name is Brian Zond. And he says this, looking at the, the workers that showed up, the full day workers. If we fear that someone we deem as less deserving than us will be made equal to us based on their need and God's love, we're still operating according to an economy outside of heaven. And I was like, okay, that's good. Let's share that. That was, 
there's, there's a weird thing where I don't think any of us stay, we're not just one or the other. We're not like the full day workers, though we sometimes, for me, maybe you're the, different, but for me, I'm like, oh yeah, that's who I am. I've known Jesus my whole life. I'm following you, Jesus. I got all the stuff. The merit of my life shows pure and before the heavens that I shall inherit whatever. Like that's in my own grandiose. Sometimes I, we get that way. We kind of, but it's subtle. But the thing is, when I look back upon my life, I'm, I'm, I'm rarely rarely been always the full day worker, always the partial day worker. I've had moments where I've needed Jesus. I needed something from him. I needed uh, something and I've received exactly that, meeting my exact need. And I've had other moments where I needed something from him. I'm like, oh man, this is where I'm at. And he ex- like extravagantly exceeded it like he did for those partial day workers. We're not just stuck in one way or the other. We're somehow just one or the other. We're just divided into these, you're either this terrible religious person or you're this most holy, like everything's great. None of that is what this is talking about. This is talking about we have a generous king. End. We have a merciful king. End. We have a king that comes for us. And the, the way that he establishes and wants us to react to that kingdom and the way that he wants us to walk following him, that's what this is about. Not identifying yourself as one or the other. But I wonder if we have some questions in that. And I, I might ask these all of all of us. I might, you could ask this of yourselves, but... Why do we tend to identify ourselves with the full day workers? If you're honest, maybe you do. Or why are we so convinced of our deservedness? Third question, is it possible that in our king's sight, we are those, though laboring for one hour, still have a need not deserve a day's wage. We have that need at the end of the day. What if we are like that? And am I sustained by this law of merit or by a grace of my king? If I'm looking at this and I'm trying to understand what Jesus is saying, I'm getting a sense that he's like, okay, he wants to flip things around, they're different but I I have to come through this King Jesus. I can't go into some circumstance of how I compare to the person next to me and their journey. That's where the trouble starts for them. That's where the trouble starts for us. I love the table song we were singing this morning. It's one of my favorites, but talking around that table and one of the images that um, Janice shared with me and I've been thinking about this week is this table of heaven this table of the king that we're coming around. And we've been invited to it and we get there and we get the spot at the table and we look down the tables, like three or four more steps and they're like, that person's at the table too? And you're thinking about like, well, I'm, I, I love being welcomed here. It's more than I deserve, oh yeah. But I am calculating in the back of my head. I have done a lot. I mean, I have, I have followed Jesus. I, you know, like I'm, I'm in... But that person I know, like they just, 
they just jumped into this thing. And he, they're further up the table and the closer to the front of the table, you're closer to Jesus. You have this place of honor. And I, I'm like looking at this table and I, but then I start looking around at everybody else. And I start looking at the person next to me and the person to the right. And what Jesus wants us to understand is at the table, none of us feel at home there. None of us feel in the deepest, hurtful, trauma, pain-filled places do we feel like we deserve that place above all others. If we're really honest, deep down. We put a lot of bravado, a lot of things on to kind of cover that. But at the table, a lot of us, most of us, probably all of us in our darkest place don't feel like we have a place even there. And this story is trying to identify, not only do I have a place, I have a place that's undeserved. I have a place that's full of mercy. I have a king that's gonna like establish that place for me. So wherever you're at, you're sitting in that kind of scenario. And I'm sorry if that's like, hey, let's do two different metaphors. This will be fun this morning. Um, that if you feel like you've never felt at home at the table of the king, as we were talking about, or you're honest and you're like, actually, I've, my whole life, I've never felt at home at the table of the king. I'm gonna read a scripture over us. And I'm gonna read a scripture that's an invitation, a prayer, a blessing. And we're gonna take a few moments and let some of these kind of weird thoughts sink in and some of them might stick and some of them won't. But as I read this, I want you to invite Holy Spirit to ground in you these truths and possibly build a, maybe a different narrative of, of the table for yourself. This is what Paul says, and this is in Colossians. Paul trying to help us understand who Jesus is as the master. This is in the message, so it's a, kind of a modern paraphrase, but it's, it's easy to read. And he says, we pray that you live well for the master, making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard. As you learn more and more how he works, you will learn how to do your work. We pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul not the grim strength of gritting your teeth for the glory strength, but the glory strength of God. It is strength that endures unendurable things and spills over into joy. Thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in every bright and beautiful thing that he has for us. God rescued us, every one of us, from dead end alleys and dark dungeons. He set us up in the kingdom of the Son he loves so much the son who got us out of the pit we were in, got rid of the sins we were doomed to keep repeating. We look at the son and we see the God who cannot be seen. We look at the son and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank of angels, everything on earth, everything got started in him and find its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this point. 
And when it comes to the church, he organizes us and holds us together like a head does a body. Now for all of us to hear this truth. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that he poured out from the cross. You yourselves are a case study of what he does. At one time, you all had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble at every chance like those full-time workers. But now by, giving him, by, now by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together, whole and holy in his presence. And here's our invitation. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in that bond of trust, constantly tuned into the message. Those full-time workers... They saw the gift of what they were walking into. They knew the day and they were getting money. They, they knew they needed it and they got it. But they kind of corrupted that message in their own heart with envy kind of sunk in and it can be really easy for all of us to do that. Those partial day workers knew exactly what they deserved and they didn't get that. They got so much more. Maybe they even felt like they were kind of the misfits. These were the real guys and these were the kind of misfit workers. We got the last day because we didn't know what to do or whatever it was. And Jesus pulls it all together and says, I know your need and I know what you deserve. None of us deserve what we're getting from him, but he meets every need. And that's really the deep word for us today, that Jesus is the center of this whole story. If I'm going to center and posture myself around something from this, the kingdom is established. Why is that good news? Because I have a king. The good news of the gospel of all of Matthew, these parables, the vineyard owner, the prodigal son and the father coming to him is that I have a king a king who claims me as his own, a king who sacrifices for me, a king whose love I don't have to earn, a king who sees and hears me, a king who is powerful and humble, a king who is patient and steady, a king who is not in a rush, a king who is not worried, a king who does not lay a heavy burden on me, a king who disciplines as his kindness, a king offering me an inheritance and part in his glory, a king who gives comfort, a king who comes to me. So the same theologian that wrote this type thing, he, he said this, N.T. Wright, he said the net effect of all of these parables, all of these stories in Matthew is that the boundaries of the kingdom do not correspond to your patronage or your family or your approval or the, the pensions of either the priestly ruling class or the populist Pharisees. God's mercy is scandalous in scope, not just puritanical, do this, do this parameters. That is why in Jesus' kingdom, outsiders are insiders and vice versa. 
on the first or the last and vice versa. That's the good news for us today. This is Jesus. Jesus is king. I have a king. I don't have to fight or go through some weird matrix of, do I have the merit to do it, to get myself to where I need to go? Or do they not have the merit? What if we just stepped out of that whole equation and did what we did this morning and simply were like, I'm so grateful. How good is he? How much different would that story have been if the full day worker showed up and like got last in line off like, we saw what you did. That's crazy. You're such a good vineyard owner. Man, that's awesome. I can't wait to see what those guys buy on the way home. I bet they're gonna get some great food for their family and for dinner. The gratefulness, the understanding of how good he is, how good a king he is, and that he's established a kingdom that we're supposed to participate and walk in today is the good news. That's the good news for you and for me and for my family and for your family. It's not a whole bunch of this religious stuff that we gotta fight through. And disciples and the followers of Jesus got to experience it that day. And I'm praying that for us, we get to take another step in that journey today is we're gonna take a few moments and just give ourselves some space. We are a busy people. I did this with the youth group last week. It was a blast. The middle schoolers were awesome. I said, we're gonna be silent for four minutes. We're not gonna do that exactly rigid, but we did that, right? We're gonna be silent for four minutes, I tell the middle schoolers. And they're like, look around nervously. I'm like, because there's probably no other middle schoolers on the planet that are doing what you're doing right here. (laughs) And that kind of got them, that hooked them. They're like, whoa, yeah, I am countercultural as I'm following Jesus. I am going against the flow of what this economy of this world's telling me I should be and the economy of grace says I can slow down, I can wait. I don't have to rush to the front. I don't have to get my just dessert. I don't have to do blah, blah, blah. So let's, we're just take a couple minutes and then Nisha's gonna lead us in a simple chorus to grab onto for our day and to grab, grab onto as we land and we go out as followers of Jesus.
majesty singing majesty forever i am changed by your love in the presence of your majesty thank you jesus thank you jesus we push off envy we push off jealousy we push off discontentedness we push off a feeling of that we just des the deservedness of overpowering like what we should get we should get and we simply rest with you again Jesus you are for us and you are good and we get more than we deserve and everything we need in you, Jesus. So we honor you, we exalt you. We say you're worth every opportunity to obey. You're worth every step along the way to surrender. You're worth every one of those things. We choose to follow you in the high places and the low places. Together, let's just sing one more time. Majesty, your grace has found me. And set our gaze and our gratitude on the King. Singing majesty, singing majesty, your great grace, your grace has found me just as I am, empty handed but alive in majesty forever. Singing majesty, singing majesty, forever I am changed by your love, in the presence of your majesty. Forever I am changed by your love In the presence of your majesty Holy Spirit, come. Thank you. Amen. We're so glad you guys are with us today. And if you have kids, go, go snag them. We went right up against the clock and hope to see you guys Friday night. If you wanna hang out for a few moments, Nisha will play. But have a wonderful Sunday.